This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. I just got off the phone with the president. I talked to him twice today. And uh, after weeks of negotiations, we have come to an agreement in principle. We still have a lot of work to do, but I believe this is an agreement in principle that's worthy of the American people. The time to hesitate is past. The buildup is over. We are in the world of results and deciding what those results mean. The talk of Washington, D.C. has been the debt ceiling, and we now have winners and losers as that bill snakes its way through Congress, hoping to avoid a default on the nation's debt. There are clear fault lines where beneficiaries are on one side and losers are on the other. Some of your Democratic colleagues are saying that this policy will lead some people to go hungry. What is your response to that? It's ridiculous assertion. Meanwhile, Ron DeSantis is officially in the 2024 primary. He's heading out to Iowa, and he is no longer being polite, opting instead to get real with the frontrunner in this race, Donald Trump. While we still await polling to see whether or not his new strategy is something efficient, what we do know is this. 24 primary field is beginning to shape up and the only slot left open is the never Trump lane. Here's the good news. I'm going to give you the good news. Ready? I love you. I'm a big fan. Thank you. But you're dead wrong. He's not going to be the nominee. And so we look out into the field of those that are considering jumping in to see exactly how itchy their hat tossing hand is. Chris Christie, Chris Sununu, and Mike Pence, all of which on some level will define themselves in opposition not just to Donald Trump, but to the MAGA revolution he brought to the party. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And will they get in this race? We go over all of that. My name is Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio. This is Politics, Politics, Politics. Oh, baby. Welcome, 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 everybody. I'm really, really glad that we did the episode that we did on Friday that recapped the Obama debt ceiling crises, plural, That happened throughout the 2010s because a lot of those lessons, I think, are really, really, really applicable now while we not only comb through the deal that was cut between Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy, but also some of the response to it. So before we get into our scorecard of winners and losers, let's look at what the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023 contains in it. The agreement suspends the debt limit until January 25 and sets spending at $886 billion for defense and $704 billion for non-defense for the next fiscal year, limiting federal budget growth to 1% for the next six years. Now, that's not finding 
uh, and we're going to get into what Biden got out of this. But just so you know, the biggest thing is the fact that he's not going to have to look at the words debt ceiling until after the 24 election. The deal is estimated to reduce federal government spending by $1 trillion. That is not a cut to the debt. It is a reduction in spending, but considering what a bender the United States has been on recently, that is at least some kind of move in the direction of fiscal prudence, if that is your thing. The deal fully funds medical care for veterans, rescinds $30 billion in unspent coronavirus relief. This was $30 billion that was approved to be spent, had a time limit of when to spend it, and just wasn't. Just $30 billion hanging out. Here's a conservative gift. It reduces IRS funding by $1.4 billion and repurposes $20 billion from the IRS for other non-defense programs. That was something that got a lot of traction during the 22 campaign about Biden's beefing up the IRS so they could go after the middle class. Of course, the Democrats say that this is for the top 1% of the 1% of the 1%. We move on. The agreement expands work requirements for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. SNAP is what you're going to hear this referred to as. Temporarily increasing the maximum age for these requirements and adjusting the Temporary Assistance to Needy Families Program. It also streamlines environmental reviews for energy projects ends the pause on student loan repayment and approves outstanding permit requests for the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Let's take those one at a time. We're going to get to SNAP and TANF, T-A-N-F, in our our loser segment when we talk about Pramila Jayapal. But that was something that the Republicans are looking at as getting people back to work. If you have not paid back your student loans, well, this last moment where you have to start paying them back will be the last time that there will be any pause. Biden will not have the ability to pause it any further. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is a gift to Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin got in there. This is a West Virginia project. And of course, that one gets green lit through. So. Man, what a what a wily old guy. Now, this is what the law does not does not include. New work requirements for Medicaid recipients, the repeal of clean energy tax credits, that was part of the Inflation Reduction Act, which has now properly been relabeled as an environmental bill, and the fate of Biden's broader student loan relief. That's still going to be decided by the Supreme Court. That decision probably is going to show up by the end of next month. Yeah, because you're going to hear this on May 31st. So here's where the bill stands right now. At the point that I am recording this, it has yet to pass the House Rules Committee. And two of the House Freedom Caucus who are on the Rules Committee because of the deals that Kevin McCarthy had to make to be Speaker, have said that they will block this. One has not. That means that we are probably going to see this go to a vote tomorrow. And 
when it goes to a vote tomorrow, it is almost assuredly going to pass because it will get Democratic support as well as Republican support, despite the fact that there are some Republicans who you might not expect. Nancy Mace among them who have said that they don't like this bill. My sense of this is that you're getting a lot of very strident comments about this because they feel safe that it is going to pass. It's that weird thing where it's like, if it were really on the edge, I don't think Nancy Mace would be saying no. But because it's bipartisan, she can kind of have her cake and eat it too. She won't be obstructionist, but she can also signal that if she were in charge, it would be even tougher. That would leave this bill in the hands of the Senate, who would have a chance to vote on it before the June 5th drop-dead date. So that's the state of play now. Let's talk about the scorecard for where the winners and losers are on this deal. And we're going to start with the winners. Here's the first one and the biggest one. Kevin McCarthy. In this process, he gained 10 points in his approval with the American people. This according to a YouGov economist poll. And the reason why is because he was right. No one thought this was possible. Biden bet against Kevin McCarthy's ability to rally his troops. Not only did the man who suffered the humiliating spectacle of 15 ballots in a speaker fight to get his team together, his position proved to be popular enough that it backed the president down. A CNN poll last week showed that 60% of Americans said that Congress should only raise the debt ceiling if it came with spending cuts. That's huge. That means that the American public is on the side of Kevin McCarthy. In a little bit, we're going to get to what Biden wanted those numbers to say. And let me also say here that I think Kevin McCarthy learned from what happened during the debt ceiling debacles back in the Obama era. He understood because he was there that you cannot ask for everything or be unrealistic in the kind of demands that you're making while you are holding up the full faith and credit of the United States of America. As we chronicled on Friday, the question was always, will you defund Obamacare? Here, take this gun, shoot yourself in the head. The opposition said no. The Republicans repeatedly kicked the can down the road and asked again, would you please gut your signature law? No. Okay, so we'll kick it down the road one more time. Now will you think about gutting your signature law? No. And so they wound up kicking the can so far down the road that we haven't been able to deal with it since. Until now. So what did you learn? Well. Get what you can, because in the process, while the Republicans had the ability to initiate a debt ceiling fight, until now, the debt has only continued to spiral up. So if you do care, then take whatever win that you can and move on without being looked at as wholly obstructionist in the eyes of the American public. And it seems as if Kevin McCarthy has been able to do that. 
But the other side of this is, can he do it without pissing off the people that put him in that speakership to begin with? Specifically, some of the loudest voices in the Freedom Caucus. Well, as of right now, he seems to have. Not only does he have people that backed him for the speaker, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, but he's also been able to survive the compromise on the Rules Committee. Thomas Massey is on that committee. He would be the deciding vote that if he were to vote against it, it would effectively unravel this entire deal. And on Monday, he tweeted the following. I think it's important to keep in mind that the debt limit bill itself does not spend money but it does enable past deficit spending and any new deficit spending in the appropriations bill that Congress will pass in September. He was then asked by fellow Twitter user Richard McSee91468, tell me like I'm eight what you're trying to say. Massey says, we'll be taking out a second mortgage this week to pay off the credit cards but it's not until September that we actually buy the bass boat, the tanning bed, and the big screen TV. For a debt hawk like Massey, that is high praise. He's essentially saying that the fight we need to fight in terms of government spending is with the budget and not necessarily with this deal. That means he's probably going to let it out of the Rules Committee. That means it's going to get voted on. This will pass because Kevin can wait. Wait out the speaker selection holdouts, wait out Joe Biden, and wait out doubters who believe he will dissolve into a puddle under the pressure. Our second winner, Donald Trump. Trump picked McCarthy. Trump ignored the pleas of some of his most ardent supporters to reject him. It's among the more subtle moves from. A less than subtle man. With a move like this, Trump works to paper over his biggest weaknesses. Chaos. Remember the fights with Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi? Well, if you give Trump a second term, they got the right guy for the job now. The media calls it chaos, but look, Kevin made it work. And he got more popular while he was doing it. But of course, Trump being Trump, he's... Not really taking a win on this. (laughs) If you look at his truth social, he's more concerned with retweeting poll numbers and arguing with Ron DeSantis on television. But I'm saying, Trump folks, if you're listening, you should take a win on this. DeSantis is attacking the deal as weak. This is an opportunity for Trump to show that shy Ronnie isn't ready for the big stage. Label this a great deal by your hand-picked soldier and take the dub. And now, we get to our losers. First things first, Joe Biden. The Real Clear Politics average for his approval rating in February, when he began refusing to negotiate with Kevin McCarthy, was underwater by six points. So he had a higher disapproval than an approval by six points on average. Today, it's 13 and a half. This process, and 
arguably Biden's decision to run for reelection, have made him less popular with the American people. But let's get back to that CNN poll, the one that showed 60% of America wanted spending cuts with a debt limit deal. If the majority of Americans say they want spending cuts, then a majority of Americans don't fear losing benefits. And worse than that for Biden, a majority of Americans do not view Republicans as MAGA lunatics willing to drive the economy off a cliff for the sake of Fox News TV time. Biden needed the national mood to settle on either of those two camps. And to be honest, he never did. How much Biden wanted this fight is kind of up for debate. On one hand, his party is still scarred from those debt ceiling scraps of the Obama era. He refused to meet with McCarthy unless he gave him a clean debt ceiling, hoping the tide would turn. But again, it never did. Biden isn't as popular and the country is deeply anxious about the economy. If there was ever a time that a fiscally prudent message would resonate, by the numbers, it appears like it's right now. Let's get to a silver lining, though, for Biden. For whatever deal he cut, it wasn't something that is looked at as a total capitulation, and he got the biggest political gift. An agreement to kick this out of his first term. He would not have to deal with it until 2025. That is, if he makes it that far. All right. Moving on to Pramila Jayapal. She is unfortunately the mascot for the progressive wing of the party. Because what was laid bare is that the progressives have uh, no juice. They wanted Biden to fight tougher. He didn't. They drew lines in the sand on work requirements for benefits. They lost. The left flank of the Democratic Party are in the back of the boat. They cannot hold up Congress. They can't primary the sitting president. And to be totally honest, if you are a progressive, you might as well hibernate until after 2024. One final loser here, and it's the 14th Amendment. The idea of invoking the 14th Amendment like a magic spell, therefore ridding the Democrats of their debt ceiling nemesis, went over about as well as J.K. Rowling in a trans rights tweet thread. Of course, it was far-fetched for them to even assume that it was possible, especially after you already started engaging in negotiations of how to circumvent the debt ceiling. But it's a larger sign that the Democratic Party and the leadership from Joe Biden didn't really have a plan B. Their entire strategy was let the Republicans implode. And if they don't, wait for the American public to turn against them. Oh, for 2, which meant they had to make a deal. Now, credit to the Democrats and credit to Biden that it wasn't something worse than what it was. But to, to suggest it was anything other than a loss, well, I'm afraid I don't buy it. Politics, politics. Take politics seriously.com is where you need to go to support this 
show. It's where you need to go to sign up for our bonus episodes. Three bucks a week. Price of a cup of coffee. If, if I were in your car each and every week, would it be worth it for you to get double the content, double the episodes for one cup of coffee? If that is something that is up your alley, well, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And this week, oh my God, oh my God, it was a good time. It was a good time. The debt ceiling broke over the weekend, so the Monday folks got that. My thoughts on DeSantis' rollout happened on the Patreon episode. Uh, Again, I will cover whatever is coverable based on the schedule of when I cover it because things move fast this time of year. And it's going to move fast for the next year and a half. If you want to make sure you're not missing anything, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. But first, your update. Speaking of Ron DeSantis, he plans to launch his presidential campaign in Iowa this week. It's the start of a busy week that'll take him to 12 cities in three states that vote early in the calendar. The Florida governor's two-day trip to the leadoff caucus state starts in suburban Des Moines and ends in a Cedar Rapids racetrack. On Tuesday evening, DeSantis visited the Eternity Church in Clive, Iowa. That's the kind of place you need to go if you want to court the evangelicals and the evangelicals run that caucus. Of course, this is the first time that he has been to the Hawkeye State since he announced. I am more bullish on DeSantis' rollout than a lot of people. I did not believe that his Twitter spaces thing was a disaster. Uh, it, it, It was funny. And if the tech would have screwed up past the delay, I think I would have labeled it a fiasco. But as it was, it was only really 20 minutes late and it generated a ton of coverage. There will be more conversation about this, obviously, infinite conversation about this going forward. All I will say is this. Right now, Ron DeSantis is the main character in politics. And by and large, the person who has carried that belt is the person that Ron DeSantis is going head-to-head against. Will that continue? We can only wait and see. President Biden will meet with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak at the White House next week to discuss Ukraine climate issues and the U.S.-U.K. economic relationship. Sunak will also meet with U.S. lawmakers and business leaders during the visit. The meeting follows Biden's endorsement of the U.K.-led effort to train and equip Ukraine with F-16 fighter jets. Biden is also scheduled to meet Prime Minister Mitt Fredrickson of Denmark on Monday. Two leaders are expected to discuss developments in Northern Ireland, but British officials do not anticipate progress on a new U.S.-U.K. trade agreement, which they accept is not currently feasible. You would think that that would be something that Donald Trump would want to talk about. Senator Ted Cruz, meanwhile, condemned Uganda's anti-gay law on Monday, calling it horrific and wrong. The law, which includes the death penalty and criminalizes homosexuality, is a grotesque abomination, according to Cruz on Twitter. He also called on all civilized nations to condemn 
the human rights abuse. President Biden has spoken out against the law, calling it a tragic violation of human rights. This drew a little uh, back and forth on Twitter, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much we, we should argue about American politicians talking about Ugandan policy. Uh, obviously, look, I find the I find the law to be barbaric. If there's one thing, if Joe Biden and Ted Cruz agree on something, I believe that that covers the vast majority of American consensus. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go to support this program. $1 a week gets you an ad-free feed. $3 a week gets you double the content and more. Head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Let's venture on to the battlefield of potential 2024 Republican contenders. And specifically, we're going to look at the lane that has yet to be filled. We're going to highlight three candidates, and I'm naming them the Never Trump Trio. First, we have Chris Christie, New Jersey's political brawler who's no stranger to taking a punch or two. He has emerged from many a skirmish. But will his armor hold up against the heavy artillery of yet another presidential run? Then there's Mike Pence, the former vice president who has spent the last few years in the trenches with Trump. He was a MAGA fan favorite before he became a Judas. But which side of the battle long does he believe his voting bloc is on? Lastly, we have Chris Sununu, the youthful governor of New Hampshire, who's been expertly navigating the minefield of local and national politics. But is he truly ready for full-scale violence? All three of them have yet to declare their campaigns, and they are facing a party fixated on Trump and DeSantis. These potential candidates are gearing up to find voters that right now, ding-dongs like me, don't believe there are enough of to win. Can they breach the fortress of Trumpism or are they heading into a mission impossible? Let's go down the list one by one. Chris Christie, currently a gas bag being paid by Disney for ABC. He had a career that seemed to be moving pretty fast in the world of politics until stopping entirely kind of like the traffic on the George Washington Bridge. Christie's political career began in earnest when he was elected as a freeholder of Morris County, New Jersey in 94 after an unsuccessful bid for the New Jersey State Assembly. His first significant victory was to be appointed as U.S. Attorney for New Jersey in 2002 by W. Bush. As U.S. Attorney, Christie gained recognition for his work against political corruption, something that eventually wound up coming to bite him in the butt because somebody that he put in jail eventually had a son that married a Trump daughter. His political star continued to rise when he successfully ran for governor of New Jersey in 2009, beating incumbent John Corzine. Christie was reelected in 2013 in a landslide, and it was at that moment that he was looked at as the purple answer to a post-Obama Republican party. That was until his most notorious scandal, Bridgegate, 
In 2013, members of Christie's staff and his Port Authority appointees orchestrated a series of lane closures on the George Washington Bridge, ostensibly for a traffic study. However, evidence suggested it was political retribution against the mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey, who had declined to endorse Christie's re-election campaign. The resulting traffic chaos lasted for four days and caused significant issues for residents. While Christie himself was never proven to be directly involved, the scandal significantly tarnished his second term as governor and negatively impacted his eventual presidential bid. That bid was essentially just a hit job. Once realizing that he didn't have the traction in the early states, he just started throwing Molotov cocktails on stage, one of them catching Marco Rubio aflame and burning him on a level that Rubio's really yet to ever fully recover from. After that, Christie endorses Trump and eventually becomes part of Trump's transition team. Great. It's that kind of position that usually gets you a cabinet post, right? Wow. Except remember that guy that he put in jail while he was U.S. attorney for New Jersey? Yeah, that son who married that Trump daughter, that's Jared Kushner. And so Christie's ejected, becomes a vicious critic of Donald Trump, and that's where we are right now. Moving on to Mike Pence. Mike Pence's political career includes several high-profile victories, starting with his election to the U.S. House in 2000 from Indiana 6th. He served six terms there, during which he rose to the position of chair of the House Republican Congress. In 2012, he successfully ran for governor of Indiana, a position that he held until 2016. It was then that in the early days of this very podcast that I was getting emails saying, you want to know who you need to look out for? He's the governor of Indiana. He's about to come up term limited. Mike Pence. That name always stuck in my head. But it was while he was serving as governor that Pence faced a significant scandal in the form of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 2015. The law was intended to protect religious liberties, but was widely criticized for effectively legalizing discrimination against the LGBT community. The backlash was swift and severe, with numerous businesses and public figures boycotting Indiana. Amid the fallout, Pence had to sign a revised version of the law to prevent potential discrimination. That controversy damaged Pence's reputation and created tension within his conservative coalition. It was this moment that knocked Pence out of the running for a potential go at the presidency and into the scratch and dent bin for possible cabinet or vice presidential selection. But who would want to touch him? I don't know. Maybe an upstart candidate who's lived the life of a Bible villain very publicly that needs to shore up his evangelical bona fides. And so Mike meet Don, Don meet Mike. They go to the White House together. And he's a faithful lieutenant to Trump. He does the job that you want as a veep. He is seen, but not heard. 
he gets all of the terrible jobs like COVID response. But after four years, very controversially, it was no longer. Contrary to his evangelical pro-life values, Pence's executive career was aborted before the second term as he and Trump lost to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. In the eyes of his former boss, this was an unnecessary elective procedure. Trump believes Pence could have utilized machinations in the Senate to delay the certification of Joe Biden's victory, not possibly overturn it. Pence, of course, disagrees. Since then, Pence has played the good Republican soldier. He's campaigned for other candidates, and he's silently bided his time while strategically popping up once every month or so into the national media to make sure people still remember him. He has stated that he will make a decision on whether or not he's running for president in the 2024 election, quote, before late June. Which brings us to Chris Sununu. Chris Sununu entered the political arena serving as a member of the New Hampshire Executive Council from 2011 to 2017. His most significant political victory came in 2016 when he won the race for governor of New Hampshire. Sununu, a Republican and a Nepo baby, his father was governor as well, demonstrated considerable political skill in winning a state that had been trending Democratic in national elections. He was reelected in 2018 and then again in 2020. More on that in a second. A testament to his strong political appeal in the state, Sununu is what people assumed Chris Christie was back in the day. Except without all the, you know, Jersey. Despite facing several competitive elections, Sununu's track record demonstrates a knack for connecting with voters in New Hampshire, which I don't know if you've heard, is also a very important primary state. Yet, Sununu declined to run for Senate in 2022, something that he very much could have won against Maggie Hassett. Throughout all of this, Sununu's kept an arm's length to Trump because he's in a bit of a weird political position. He wants to be on the side of the Republican Party, but not to MAGA. In fact, Sununu has made a catchphrase over the last few months saying that Trump is not going to be the nominee. That's his quote. Trump is not going to be the nominee. He has stated that he will decide in the next week or two. Now, I've labeled all three of these guys never Trump, not because they're Adam Kinzinger or Liz Cheney, because I believe that Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney are absolutely politically radioactive on the Republican side. You cannot go that hard against fellow Republicans, no matter how much you believe that you are morally in the right. What you need to do is provide a pathway, a future for the Republican Party that is implicitly not MAGA. Chris Christie, Sununu, and Pence are all different flavors of it. But here's the question. Are there enough voters who fully reject 
MAGA in general. That would encompass both Trump and DeSantis. And can any one of them win if they all three get it? They are different flavors, right? Sununu and Christie are more of the Northeastern deal makers. Christie's more of a brawler. Sununu's more of a friendly face. He's got uncommon charisma that I think would play well on that stage. Pence is evangelical. So he's basically going to ride his entire campaign on Iowa. But I don't think that there are the votes there. I think that the evangelicals are going to trend more MAGA. And I don't really know what the worth of a brawler is when Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis are on the stage. Which brings me to my conspiracy. Chris Christie's mostly known for ending Florida politician Marco Rubio's career. Ron DeSantis has made a tremendous enemy in the Disney Corporation. What if somebody got in Chris Christie's ear and said, you know, take some time off from the desk. You'll have your seat back when you're done. For now, you need to make sure that Ron DeSantis is as hounded and as humiliated as possible. Let him get it on both ends. From Donald Trump at the top and you below him. And at some point, he's going to make a mistake and he will understand why you don't cross the mouse. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to email the program, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. The show is at px3tweets. I am at Justin R. Young. You can find me streaming live on Twitch, px3live.com. Guys, the newsletter is back. Yup, I'm writing again px3newsletter.com. This week, I talked about why I don't think there's any such thing as two online. A lot of people were talking about Ron DeSantis's announcement as being two online. I make the argument that you can only really say that if there is a mainstream. And I don't think there is one. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy at px3podcast.com. Support us with a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send me anything that you would like in the mail. P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Somebody who Venmoed me was Dan, said, buy yourself a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. He gave me 10 bucks. Hell, for that money, I can buy two. Thank you, Dan. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show, like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. 
including Jason, Andres, Matt, John Grossi, Garcia, Matthew T, El Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Dradio, Bugs Life, Neemeister, Unsafety B Level, Amanda, Yield Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100-mile runner, Idris, Arslanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's, Dashing Debut, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank, got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A, L, D, L, D, L, D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. You want your name read, friends? One place, go. That is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is it for today. We will be back on Friday on the free feed. We're going to break down this Ken Paxton situation. The Texas Attorney General, oh baby, there's a lot to, lot to chew on there. It's happening right up the road for me. We will do all that in a minute. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.